0: Hi there, Michael Zuber. Thanks for listening to the One Rental at a Time podcast. Did you know that the book One Rental at a Time is now available on Audible? Yes, to all my podcast listeners out there, One Rental at a Time is now available on Audible. Go check it out and please leave a five-star review. Have a great day. Hey everyone, it's Monday morning, 8 a.m. Pacific and that means we start our week of... Um, interviews with experts, and it's Monday, so we're bringing Greg Dickerson back to the show. How you doing, Greg? I'm great. How are you, Michael? I'm doing very well. I'm actually, I'm actually feeling pretty good. Right. I know we're going to have another bad week of news. Right. Yeah. Headline news: unemployment could be worse than last week, which last week was a record. Uh, we are going to have negative headlines about cases and deaths. No question. Right. Uh, but- yeah. Yeah. But I think yesterday was a big day because now we realize, you know what, you know, we, we can't talk about Easter. That was kind of a little bit of wishful thinking. Uh, but I think if we can really talk about the end of April or May 1st, we can finally start to unlock the economy in, in parts, right? It's not going to just go back to where it was. But, you know, we have 30 days to get testing in order. We have 30 days to set up infrastructure to, you know, these five minute tests are out there and it's just going to feel – it feels good, and maybe it's wishful thinking, but it feels good You go, you know <laughs> what, I can see the light at the end of the tunnel. So I don't know. I don't know if others share that uh, opinion of mine, but I actually feel much better today than I did last Monday. Uh, so I was just curious what you were thinking. Well,
1: you know, I haven't seen anybody say that we're going to be going back to work April 30th. I'm here in the end of May, end of mm. June. Okay. From all the top experts, you know, Bill Gates will tell you it'll be six months. Yeah. You know, I don't know if you saw his interview on CNN, mm-hmm. but I think what I got out of the message was because, you know, we're not in lockdown. Most of the country is not locked down or isolated. Most, right. Everybody's still working in construction where I live. Groceries, mm-hmm. I mean, everything is still open. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and we haven't really had any meaningful amount of cases here either. In the county of of 300,000. I think we've got 50, 60. You know, um, so it hasn't even really hit here yet. Mm. So there's a lot of areas that still haven't even been affected. So if you're talking about New York City, and they just totally locked everybody down for the next 30 days, then they might be able to start getting back to work and get some stuff open. But Mm -hmm. I think when you're talking about the nation as a Mm -hmm. whole, I think May, the end of May might be a realistic target, you know, uh, maybe into June. That's what I'm seeing everybody saying.
0: All right, well, still, there's a light just farther away. That's okay. you know it's it's darkest before dawn, and all that good stuff. But you know for me it's it's we've got to continue to ramp testing. We should put some thoughts into how we how we can start testing people away from hospitals that may be feeling sick, and this five minute abbott test is pretty encouraging if yeah. we can get that at scale because once we can start even even if it's just locally, and that's what I'm referring to of May one. Even if there's just additional locations where we can quote unquote open up main street, right? I live in the city of Mountain View. Our downtown is a street called Castro. It's full of restaurants, pretty much restaurants and coffee shops, yeah. and it's ghost town.
1: Are they even do a takeout or anything?
0: Oh, they're doing takeouts, but again, it's so, yeah, it's, it's yeah. just really bad, right? I think if we get to a point where you go, you know what, you can now go to your main street. I don't think people are going to get on airplanes May 1st or, anything of that nature, but you know, if they, they instituted like if Google, just for example, mm-hmm. Google's the biggest employer in Mountain View. If they came out and said, you know what, we're going to set up five Google testing facilities. If you're feeling sick, come here, drive through five minute test. And Oh, by the way, if you're sick, go home, quarantine yourself for 15 days or whatever it is. And if you're not, you know what, go enjoy a meal, go do something. You know? Um, I think that's yeah. where we're going to Well, start you got to remember
1: attend. that's where we started.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, that's how it started. So how do you end it? You you know what I mean? So it's like, it's almost like what Bill Gates is saying, dude, you got to shut the entire country down for 30 days, sterilize and sanitize everything. Then you might be able to meaningfully get back to work. You know, that, you know, he's, you know, and, and with what we're doing and the way it's going, you know, that's kind of where we're at. So I guess, and I don't even know how this works. I guess all the cases are peaking and then this thing just goes away, you know, I, you know, and is it going to come back in the fall? Yeah. You know, I mean, there's just so many things that we don't know. But with you, I'm encouraged because there is going to be more testing. There are going to be vaccines. There are mm-hmm. going to be cures. So right. by the time we get to the end of this, you know, July, August, September, whatever time frame that I believe realistically, you're going to see the, the country actually get back to work. I don't think right. it's going to be till the fall. Okay. Those things should be in place. Okay. Right. And that's, that was the plan from the beginning. Let's slow this thing down mm-hmm. versus a shutdown so we can get some of these things in place. And that's kind of what they've been doing. So, you know, uh, how do you start it back up? You know, that, yeah. and, and what's the effects of that? And all we know is what we see in China and Korea and these other countries. That, you know, so we have a testing ground there.
0: Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. You know, if this goes on much past May 1st in its current scale, or we ratchet up like Bill Gates is talking about where we go full lockdown. Which is frankly what I wish we would do April first. I just wish we'd just do full lockdown April first. Bite the bullet, get it over.
1: I feel like that's what we might be working towards April thirtieth. I think at that point they're going to capitulate and say shut it down.
0: Yeah, that's a wasted thirty days. But yeah, we shall see. But one of the things I I knew I wanted. Yeah, one of the things I wanted to talk about today because again I'm coming to this conversation a little more encouraged. I might leave it less encouraged, but
1: yeah, no, 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 it's
0: (laughs) whatever. What are you going to do? You know, nothing we can do. But what I thought I would talk about is, you know, cause we've been, we've both been in this two decades. You're a few, actually a few years longer than me. Um, I thought what we would talk about is what time in our career did we make the most meaningful kind of jump, I don't know, in, in wealth creation or whatnot, because, um, I don't know about you, but there was definitely one, one period that was probably 18 months in duration where, um, I was going against the grain and in hindsight, it was probably the most meaningful jump for, for Olivia and I. So I was wondering if you had the same thing in your career or or for you, maybe it's just been consistency. So I thought we'd start there.
1: Yeah. You know, so, I mean, it's been a number of things for me. Number one, when I first set out to build my first company in 97, that was a huge transition in my life. Mm. Um, And then I sold that first company, you know, seven years later. Okay, and that was my first real exit. I built it into a thirty million dollar company. <clears throat> excuse me, and um, you know, had real estate construction and all that. Sold it, transitioned my business model um, for a few years, and then you know, that was the peak of the market. If you remember back then, that was yeah, that was the peak from that '90s downturn into the 2000s and the dot-com, you know, bubble that fueled real estate back in 2000, 2001. Um, So we peaked at a 405, so I sold everything. I sold all my properties, my companies, everything back then. Mm -hmm. And then I started, you know, doing some different things and, you know, moved more towards the outsourced development model. Okay. Um, You know, and I still had a staff and a team. Then I jumped in and started building again in 2006, seven, and then shut that down in 2009. You know, we just, there was just nothing to do. so it was 2009 when I made the final transition into full-time outsource you know, development. So that was a real pivotal time for me. That was probably the most instrumental time in my career because I learned the inner workings of how banks think, what they do in the situation we're in now when, when people can't pay their rent, can't pay mortgages. You know, How do the banks think? What do they do? How's the government react in those situations? So mm. I learned a ton from that standpoint and how debt has worked out you know, how situations are worked out, um, you know, what the real effects of lack of liquidity, you know, things like that. Like we got this big CMBS bomb right now yeah. out there waiting to explode. You know, what, how is that really going to unfold and what's the real results of that? So those are things that were real pivotal and transitional for me in my career. I learned a ton through all that and it's helped me ever since in understanding how banks really think, how they really operate and mm-hmm. what, they're, what they're really all about behind the scenes. And it's not like what most people think, you know, everybody's all upset about, you know, Bank of America, this, that, and the other about, you know, forbearance and what they are and aren't going to do.
0: Right. The
1: banks, they don't even know yet, you know, yeah. because, you know, they are ultimately fiduciaries of the institutional, you know, sovereign wealth funds and pension funds and institutional investors. So it's not as easy as everybody thinks that somebody behind a desk can just make a decision and say, well, we can work your payments out. So yeah. there, there's a process that you have to go through. The good news is, that they'll be able to go through it. And there is a process, but it was that time period. Probably that was the most influential in my career that gives me the most peace in these times. Like you said, you feel positive and encouraged. I'm always positive and encouraged. I'm just trying to be realistic so that I can position myself where and when are going to be the real opportunities. You know, what are we realistically looking at here Yeah. and um, in terms of those timeframes, but that's, that's probably prepared me the most to be able to go through something like this and go, you know, it's going to be okay.
0: Yeah, for me it was right around you know for me it was 2010. It was a little bit in 09, but really 2010. If I had to pick a year that was most meaningful, and it was because it was the peak of fear. It's rarely where I it came ingrained with me where what I talk about today, right? Understand cost and access to capital, but also what's going on with the average consumer. And it's that I still talk about it today, 10 years later, right? Is what's the consumer thinking? Where are they on their their screen of greed and fear? And that's why I could confidently sell, uh, sell stuff in 19 because I could see them tipping over into greed and stupidity and why I can now go, oh, now they're afraid. And now you can see price drops and you see big capital letters in the MLS again, must sell and um, lending yeah. just changed overnight. So it, it's, it's that experience and the fact that I look at the market every day that I'm like, okay, opportunities are here. Some sellers got to sell and buyers are gone. And oh, by the way, the few buyers that are out there, most of them don't have cash because the C the, the CMBS bomb that you referred to was their access to capital. So, yeah, man, I, um, I'm encouraged by what's coming, um, because of my experience in 2010. It's why I keep telling people, you know, all you got to do is learn your market, right? Just learn your market yeah. and, and and figure out what's going on. So, um
1: yeah watch what's going on where and how right all the way down to you know the block street and houses on that street and you know what you're hearing and seeing right now in the retail market and investors are Mm -hmm. the vacant houses that's the hot commodity right now so if you can get vacant houses Mm -hmm. in your pipeline that's where the real opportunity is right now that's where your end buyers are because there are a lot of people that are sheltering in place that can't let people in don't want to let people in and with what's going on if you're renting uh or you're uh you know, struggling with your mortgage, well, the government's told you you don't have to pay. So those yeah. people are going to squat for as long as they can. A lot of them, you know, yeah. and, and rightfully so, right? There's people that are experiencing real trouble. So uh, they're going to take advantage of this as long as they can, as they should, um, to be able to, to hopefully work it out. So there's a lot of sellers that aren't going to be able to sell. And, yeah. if, and if they can, then you're going to inherit whatever's in that situation. Yeah, exactly. And you're going to have to work with them. You yeah. know, you can't buy it and evict them. You're not yeah. going to be able to do that.
0: No, no question. Um, given both of us have brought this up, the CMBS bomb. You want to kind of talk about what you, what you see going on and kind of your understanding of what it is? Or, or I have no. no
1: idea. There's just no buyers for it, right? So those yeah. are those are you know just like in the housing market, two thousand eight, nine, and ten. Um, what created that was they were carving up. Let's say you live in a neighborhood and there's a hundred houses around you. So they were carving those hundred houses up into 10 pieces and packaging those 10 pieces of that mortgage from those hundred houses into a security and selling it. CMBS is kind of the same way. It's these loans and these notes that are originated with commercial properties that are then repackaged and sold as bonds to pensions, hedge funds, you know, institutional investors. So uh, right now what's going on is there's no market for those assets because uh, of what's going on in retail office, you know, Multifamily, there are still some, but even that's drying up. Multifamily yeah. is the safest haven for institutional investors. The CMBS side of that has even dried up because they're expecting all these defaults and they don't want to get stuck with these properties.
0: Yeah. So just in case you don't know what it is, it's commercial mortgage-backed securities, correct? That's correct. Yeah. Yeah. And essentially, this is going back to um, Carl Icon. I think, like three weeks ago. I think we actually talked about it. He made a call on the CMBS market and said he's shorting mm-hmm. it. The guy's a genius, right? Office is changing, yeah. right? People are proving they can work from home. Retail, will, you know, the malls will never be the same. Um, man. Uh, yeah, well, malls are
1: the big ones. And here's the interesting thing. So there's a bulletin out today that Taubman, you know, one of the big. Uh, oh, I reads, saw that.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: They're sending notices out to their tenants, uh, mall tenants. You are to pay your rent. We are not forgiving your rent. Yeah. You know, rent is due. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so what they're doing is they're positioning for bankruptcy. So you read between the lines they have to do a certain set of things in order to turn those keys back over and file bankruptcy. So um, there's going to be a lot of REITs that are, are going to end up uh, filing bankruptcy here real soon with these, you know, mall properties.
0: Yeah. So let's just play that out. I don't know how REITs are organized. I, un- I understand them just intuitively, but essentially REITs that are predominantly mall driven. Um, they do this, they do a set of activity. They go, Hey, can't fund the debt anymore. Here's the keys, Mr. And Mrs. Lender. I guess the REIT goes to zero, right? That's kind of how the, the public market treats it. It goes to zero, then the assets go back to the bank. Is that kind of what happens?
1: Yeah, you know, and it depends on their holdings and overall. So they have certain properties um, mm-hmm. and it depends on what they're filing, whether it's a liquidation or a restructuring. Ah, okay. So, um, you know, it depends on how that's going to go. But they're a publicly listed company Yeah. Um, that owns properties. So, so, you know, they have tier one, two, three, and four levels of properties. So it just depends on which ones they're putting in there and which ones they're able to hang on to. And it's going to be a restructuring more than anything else. But yeah, yeah, they could ultimately end up having to liquidate the entire company. So yes, the stock goes to zero, gets wiped out, unless somebody else steps in and buys it.
0: Wow. That is... um, Enron. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) That is pretty scary to think about because there are a lot of retirees That put money into REITs because they live on that, right? They live on the income, right? And uh, man, the world's going to. That's the other
1: side of the interesting equation. Is you know, there's a lot of people that do rely on 401k, CDs, money markets, things like that for income. And with interest rates where they are, you know, that's been eliminated. So, you know, where does that individual go now? Because you know, the stock market, we're not done yet. No, you know um, what we saw last week you know, you've heard of a dead cat bounce. Yeah. You know, sucker Rally. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you've heard those terms, oh, but for listeners sure. go look up dead cat bounce and go <laughs> look up sucker rally. Cause you know, in times like this and in 2008 when the market was selling off, you know, you would get these spikes, not as severe or as giant as we're getting now because the market is just so overinflated and you know, all the electronic trading that's going on. <clears throat> but those yeah. things happen to draw, <clears throat> draw people back into the market and then, bam, you know, it goes yeah. down. So Um, The question is, how long, you know, does it last, and what are we going to see? And you and I know the real effects of what's going on have not reverberated to the markets yet because of the job losses this week. You know, the real effects on business. How long is this really going to go? Like, there might be some optimism about this, you know, April thirtieth, but you know, it's going to take time for that to ramp up. So, you know, I don't think that's baked in yet. I think the initial shock is what we saw for that initial first downturn. I think there's another tier yet oh, before we sure. start climbing back up.
0: Yeah. Yeah. We, uh, we haven't found the bottom. We're not on firm footing. Uh, I still think tech for lots of tech is still in trouble, but uh, yeah. Yeah. So another thing I want to talk about again, 2010, 2009 were important years for us. Um, for me, it wasn't necessarily about getting cheap prices, which obviously helped, but most of that wealth was, when I could communicate with sellers and get creative on putting a deal together, right? Creativity, yeah. like you said, right? Creativity of understanding what's important to the seller, maybe it's a bank, maybe not, but that was really where, um, that was game changing for us. So, you know, can you talk about some creativity and some things that you've done over the years yeah. to put deals together other than just being cheap? <laughs>
1: Yeah. So it's not always about price. Sometimes it is. And you know, when you're dealing with people, you give them options, say, here's a cash price, here's an owner finance price, here's a lease option price, you know, give them some solutions depending on their situation. But here's, what's really cool and interesting. And this is with banks. So for everybody listening, start making a list of your local and regional banks uh, because they're going to have what's called special assets managers. So anything that's in trouble or or, you know in default or heading in that direction gets turned over to the special assets manager so they can make some decisions on those properties bankruptcy attorneys are other good ones to, you know, build a network with and start, you know, staying in front of. There's going to be a lot of properties that you will be able to step into and just take over where local regional banks will transfer that mortgage over to you. So you'll be able to walk in and take over properties and businesses for zero money. They just want you to take it over. So I did that with some developments that went into default where the bank brought me in to finish them out. So houses, developments, and then existing assets back in 09. So Mm -hmm. when I say I learned the inner workings of the banks, you know, this time around what everybody learned, that's why you see the fed acting the way they're acting because they don't want the banks to fail. And if these things don't get made whole, and the CMBS is going to be an interesting thing to watch, what is the fed going to do about that? Mm -hmm. Um, Because they don't want that market to collapse, you know, and that's what everybody's posturing for. That's why those signals are being sent because hey, Mm -hmm. government come into the CMBS market. So anyways, You'll be able to step into some properties on the banking side and just take them over. They'll just beat them right to you. You take them over, you, you finish it out, and get them performing, you know, whatever. There'll be opportunities to step in with people that just need a balance sheet. So, Michael, you've got a balance sheet. So you mm-hmm. might be able to find a syndicator who's got a great asset that, you know, he's in trouble, doesn't have reserves, and doesn't have the balance sheet. So you could step in mm-hmm. and take that over, you know, and or provide that liquidity or that balance sheet that they need to keep things going so they don't lose the property. Um, and you'd be able to step into some deals that way. And then you have sellers that, um, uh, you know, that you can do the traditional subject to where, and I heard somebody say this, you know, that's, that's teaching subject to created a Facebook group or something. he said that he took over the mortgage. Now, when you do a subject to, you're not taking over the mortgage, you're, you're taking title to the property. The mortgage still stays intact and in the seller's name, in the original owner's name. So you don't, you're not taking over the mortgage. You're taking title to the property. If you assume the mortgage, then you're taking over the mortgage. So there's a difference, and people Mm. understand this. There's a very big difference between a loan assumption and a subject to. They are not the same thing. Subject to leaves the original um, uh, property owner on the hook for that mortgage. They are still responsible for that mortgage in every way. A loan assumption is where you step in and you take that over. You can do those on the the residential side. In in fact, VA loans, a lot of those are assumable. Mm -hmm. FHA loans, a lot of those are assumable. You know, so, um, so that's something to think about when you're dealing with property owners, ask them, you know, is your mortgage assumable? And if they don't know, call your mortgage company and ask them because then, you know, banks will do that too. They will let other people come in and assume that loan.
0: Yeah. Especially strong buyers with the balance sheet, right? Because again, most banks are looking at this as a short term, maybe one year problem. And the right answer could be, let them assume it. Right. Now,
1: (laughs) assumable, you're going to have to qualify. The bank's going to underwrite you just like they do the original borrower. Subject to, you know, literally they are transferring title to you, which will trigger a due on sale clause. But that's only if the lender finds out about it and calls that loan. Generally, they're not going to do that because they got their hands full, right? Right. You know, they're going to be so busy dealing with loan modifications and forbearance and all that. They're not going to care. As long as the money's coming in, they're not going to care. Good deal. So there will be some opportunities there. So everybody needs to really get up to speed on subject to how to do that um, you know, lease options, rent to owns those strategies and, you know, loan assumptions, you know, those will probably be less, uh, and fewer and far between those are better and more advantageous on the bigger deals, but they do work in residential as well.
0: Yeah. And again, that's what I saw in 2010 is we, we took over multiple buildings. Again, they were small. Uh, we took over an 18 unit building for, uh, for no money down, uh, lower interest Mm -hmm. rate. We had to reserve, we had to escrow 25 K for repairs, which we would have done we would have spent anyway that was the bank security then we got two 10 unit buildings side by side uh from two different banks that said hey you're fixing that one come fix ours um you know uh, that again most of our net worth you know came from solving problems and being a a strong buyer right so uh it's going to happen here
1: and a lot of the companies yeah. And I've gotten involved in a lot of companies. So real estate, so then there's the business side mm-hmm. where um, people will give you the business or half of it or whatever, just to come in and provide a balance sheet so you can borrow money and keep the business going. Yeah. So you know this SBA bailout that's out there, again, it's a loan. You're going to have to qualify. So there's credit requirements, there's liquidity requirements, there's yeah. you know, collateral requirements. So you know there's going to be opportunities to step in and help somebody save their business and take equity in the company by just having a balance sheet.
0: Yeah, it's going to be a good time. Uh, then again, the last one I want to talk about is access to capital. Uh, I think a lot of people who've been in this business five, six, seven years, got drunk on the fact that it was really easy to get loans, 90% fixer loans and all these other hedge fund based loans and they vanished overnight. And, um, you know, you need to have options. Right. And, and the market can change. And I saw the market change overnight. And for me, it was in 08 when it changed overnight when I couldn't qualify for a bank loan. Um, that was shocking to me. So, you know, you have yeah. to find another way to go. So, um, you know, how, how do you think about access to capital in your position?
1: So, um, you know, on the larger assets that that world has changed big time right now. So right. uh, they are really taking a good hard look at underwriting. I mean, all the way down, they're really looking at what city that asset's in, mm-hmm. where it's located in that city, what year it is, who the tenants are. Um, so you know, Freddie and Fannie, you know, they're mm-hmm. they're really looking at that now. The the uh, you know the, the capital markets have pretty much all but shut down. There's still a few balance sheet lenders. There's still a few life companies, but they've changed. They're looking for 12 to 18 months of escrows, mm-hmm. not reserves escrows, you know, right. so you've got to give them the money and put it in their account um, in order to, uh, you know, qualify. And then they're going to want, you know, additional escrows beyond that monthly. Now, after a certain period of time of servicing the debt, I think they released some of that. But initially going up, they're going to require, you know, um, lower LTVs, more uh, escrows and reserves, probably more balance sheet, you know, requirements. So they're, they're looking at these deals a lot closer. And the, the kicker was they did it with deals that were in the pipeline, the ones that yeah. they had been committed already they when they changed their underwriting it was like midstream so whoever had a deal going that thought they were getting you know 80 percent you know six months reserves all these different things now all these new rules came out and said now you got to do this so they had to go back and, and raise additional capital so um you know you've got to take that into account when you're looking at deals so that's that's one avenue that we just don't know that's changing weekly you know um in terms of that lending requirement or that lending environment on the residential side You still have private and hard money. I know a lot of hard money lenders are pulling out of different markets because, Mm -hmm. you know, they're smaller outfits. They're not sure what's going on. They're not sure what the housing market's going to be like. But the bigger, bigger, more national private hard money lenders are still lending. You know, but again, they're lowering LTVs. They're requiring more cash, you know, from that that investor um, to do the deal. So, you know, those things are getting tricky. Now, here's the real interesting part. Local and commercial banks. So back in 2009, when banks were failing, nobody had any money, I was still able to borrow money to do spec development from local mm. banks because wow. I had a relationship. i you know, I'd been banking with them for years. I had a track record. They knew I knew what I was doing. You know, I had assets, cat, you know, all that. So if you're solid and you've got you know, um, good reserves, you've got a good balance sheet, you've got a, a reputation and track record with your local bank, they're going to continue to lend. Banks have to make money. They don't make money unless they're lending money. Mm-hmm. So make sure that whatever you do right now, shore up your balance sheet, shore up your financials, you know, put some cash in the bank. If you're in a position to do so, you're going to look very attractive to these lenders uh, as things progress. And you're going to be an ideal candidate to be able to borrow money. Now can be a little bit different. You know, you're going to have to put more money down, you know, those types mm-hmm. of things. Um, but there still be money that you can borrow. That was really interesting to learn that, you know, during that environment when nobody else was lending. I still had one or two banks that I could borrow money for for spec houses, and nobody was lending on spec houses.
0: Yeah, I'm curious when you're looking at the market today. Um, again, access to capital is. I guess what I, I asked this question: What do you think is your most ex, most valuable skill today? Heading into what will be an interesting environment for a couple of years, is it your network? Is it your access to capital? Is it your creativity? Is it your experience? I mean you have so much going for you and you've got to be just so excited about what's coming up. But what is your, what's the number one thing that you're like, this is why I'm so excited.
1: My hairstyle. I got a <laughs> lot in there for me right there. That's so, um, oh, funny. You know, that, that's a, that's an interesting one. So um, I would say, let's say all things being equal
0: yeah. for
1: anybody who's listening is the creativity, okay. knowing how to structure deals creatively and understanding how banks think. that is probably the most valuable component of everything. Because without knowing what I, knowing what I know and know how to, how to do what I do and knowing how to evaluate markets, evaluate deals and find opportunities, nothing else matters. You can raise exactly. all the capital in the world, but if you don't know how to find and structure deals at the right price, none of that's going to matter. Yeah. Because the capital won't go in to deal with you if it's not the correct deal, structured the correct way. So that's probably first and foremost. And after that, it's relationships, which all of the other things are built on. So relationships yeah. in terms of raising capital, you know, because I can raise capital on demand. And that's what I teach people how to do. And that was all relationships. I, people yeah. call me, like my phone rang twice from guys that I do deals with while we're talking <laughs> every day. What do you see? What's going on? Anything we can buy, you yeah. know? So I mean, but that's 20 years of relationships that have yeah. been built over a track record, but you can build those. So it's all about the relationships in terms of raising the capital, but understanding what you say, knowing your market and how to know your market at an intimate level and what the deals are and where they are in that network. So I've got a network of people that want to do deals and I've got a network of people with deals. So I get those calls coming constantly. I don't even have to do anything. They just come in. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's funny that I asked that question knowing how I would answer. And it was the same answer. It was creativity first, because if you can't look at a, look at a opportunity, understand what's important to the seller, whether it's a person, a bank or whatever, and then put together a, a structure that allows you to finance it. Um, nothing else matters. And then you're right. After that, it was network, right? Who, who is in the network? Who's in the boat with you? Who do you have proven relationships with? You know, who wants to, you know, uh, you know, go along with you on this journey. So uh, I wasn't sure we were going to answer it the same way, but exactly the same. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, man. So uh, as we kind of wrap this one up, what kind of, what kind of closing thoughts do you have? We're, again, this is changing weekly. Um, yeah. ha- glass half full, glass half empty. What, what do you, what, what, what's going on in Greg's world?
1: So. Th- The biggest thing to do, and I'm going to assume, let's say the bulk of your listeners are residents or small multifamily, watch pending sales, watch what properties are closing to, uh, list price to close price, ask price to settle price. You know, what's that gap? Usually it's about 5%. Properties are settling, you know, 5% below the ask price and, you know, sellers markets, it, it goes up. But watch those two things pending sales and um you know sale price to settle price that'll really give you a good indication of what's going on in your market and what's happening you can watch new listings but that don't really tell you a whole lot i mean anybody can list anything you want to watch pendings on a daily basis what's going on under, con- on, under contract and where how long was that on the market what is selling where how long was that on the market and what is it selling for list price to ask uh, to close price
0: yeah that's great information again pending hold sales actually came out today uh, CNBC report, I think it was 8 a.m. P- no, it had to be, I don't know when it was, or before our call, it was up 2.4% pending, but we, we got to remember that was February data. February data is irrelevant yeah. in the environment. Yeah, February was huge. It was a yeah.
1: big month everywhere. You know, yeah. record, in- remember rates dropped, you know, so it was record low interest rate. Mm-hmm. Started happening, the rates ticked up again. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so yeah, February was strong everywhere. So March is going to be a little bit different. April is going to be a little bit different. (laughs) Just a little bit. (laughs) Yeah. So be positive. Like you said, we're going to get huge unemployment numbers. My guess is, you know, 25 to 30% of the country has to be out of work. I mean, it's got
0: to be. Oh yeah. got to be. We're a service-based economy. This is something that we have told the service-based economy to go home. Yeah. Yeah. All right, man. Well, this has been a lot of fun. I appreciate your time again, and we will talk to you next Monday. Yep. Sounds good. All right, man.